Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How are we? Kind of a groovy little song, huh? Uh, on the bumper, you know? Not the one before it, but you know, it's great. Um, <laughs> for those that are new visiting, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here. So good to be with all of you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out to uh, and turn to Galatians 5. That's where we're going to be in just a few minutes, Galatians chapter 5. Um, for those who weren't with us last Sunday, I just want to catch you up as to where we are. Last week, we kicked off a new series on the spiritual practice of fasting. Now, the purpose of this series isn't to help us with our weight loss goals or our, our things that we're going after with health this year. That is not our goal at all here. Here's why we're doing this. We are studying this practice because as a church, we are trying to be a community that is more faithful to the mission that we've been called to here at Arbor. And our mission is simple. We want to be people helping people find and follow Jesus. And at a baseline level, if we're truly going to be faithful to that mission, it means that we as a community are actually following Jesus in our lives. And so that begs the question then, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that mean exactly? And what we've been saying over the last few months over and over again is this. Following Jesus means being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. Simply put, following Jesus means being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. And one of the things that we saw that Jesus did, we saw this last week, was that he fasted. And not only did Jesus fast, but we saw cover to cover in the scriptures, the people of God practiced fasting, not just Jesus. And, and last week, we also answered this question, what is fasting? What is fasting? And simply put, we just said fasting is not eating food. That's what fasting is. Or, or, a, or a more robust definition, what we said last week, fasting is the practice of not eating food for a period of time in order to focus on and feast upon the Lord. Fasting is the practice of not eating food for a period of time in order to focus on and feast upon the Lord. And so again, if you missed last week and you weren't with us last week, I'd encourage you to go back to that message, listen to it on the podcast. You can do 1.5 speed, it's all good, all right? And we, we, we dove deeper into that question, what is fasting? We built a biblical theology of fasting. And I also said last week that for, for the following two weeks, including today, obviously, we were gonna jump into answering the question, the why of fasting, and that's what we're gonna do today. And this is an important question to drill down on because we can fast for a variety of wrong reasons. Fasting can go south if we do it for the wrong reasons, and we do it for all sorts of wrong reasons. We fast for all sorts of wrong reasons. We fast, we saw last week in Matthew 6, we fast to show off. Uh, maybe we just fast simply to lose weight. Maybe some of us think that, that by fasting we can manipulate God to hear our prayers better, like it's a radio amplifying signal somehow and it kind of propels God to like want to answer the prayers that, that we pray and the way we want him to answer them. We'll actually talk more about that next week. Maybe, maybe we fast because we feel this legalistic obligation to fast and it's like if I don't fast then I'm not going to gain favor with God or he's not going to love me as much. There's, there's danger to fasting. And really, there's danger with any spiritual practice for that matter, and that should keep us on our toes, but it's not enough danger for us to keep us from the practice itself. 
It's not enough of a danger to keep us from the practice itself. So without any further delay, I want to jump into our passage this morning, Galatians 5 and verse 13. Galatians 5 is a really important passage. In fact, it's one of the most important passages, in my opinion, in the New Testament to help us understand kind of our current human condition right now, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, and this desire to grow in Christ-likeness, to desire to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. And so I'll be reading from the New English Translation for those that are interested. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. You can follow along on the screen. Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other, so that you cannot do what you want. But... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the, works of the, now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Get ready for this list, okay? Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. <laughs> I am warning you. As I had warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Father in heaven, we come before you and we humble ourselves before you and we humble ourselves underneath your scriptures. We pray right now that your Spirit would soften our hearts and open up our eyes so that we would receive what you would have for us today. God, deep in the hearts of those of us who follow you, Lord, is this longing to follow after you, and yet we find ourselves struggling day after day to do that, and so would you help us, God? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So a running theme theologically in the writings of Paul are are, are these two opposing forces. We see them here in Galatians 5. On the one hand, we have the flesh, and on the other hand, we have the spirit. Now, the Greek word for this word spirit is this word sarx, uh, and sarx can be translated in the original Greek to mean like body or literal flesh, but in the writings of Paul, it almost never means that. When Paul wants to refer to our literal bodies, what we talked about last week, he almost exclusively uses the Greek word soma. And so when Paul is using this word sarx, he isn't referring to our literal flesh, our literal bodies, our human bodies. According to Paul's theological framework, he oftentimes uses it, almost exclusively uses it, with this negative connotation that means something more akin to our distorted desires. And and so in a way, yes, 
the flesh has something to do with our bodies, but it's more like our bodily desires run amok. Our bodily desires gotten, gone out of control. All of us in this room, we desire things. In fact, I would say fundamentally as human beings, we are desiring creatures. We are not merely rational creatures or emotional creatures, but at our core, we are driven by what we desire. And we all desire things. We desire good and normal things like sleep and rest and sex and food and all of that, a variety of other things. But when we see this word sarks here, especially in tandem with the word spirit, Paul is referring to those good and normal desires that have run out of control. They've taken control of us. They've dominated our body and our mind and our entire person, and they turn those desires from good according to God and His Word toward good as it's defined by whether it's the tempter or the serpent or our own distorted understanding of reality. The flesh is the part of us that's driven by instant gratification. It's this like primal animal part of us that says I want what I want when I want it and I want it now and nobody better get in my way. It's the part of us that is still bent in rebellion against God and all other forms of authority, whether it's a parent or a teacher or a pastor or a boss or whoever else, and we think fundamentally that my life is my own, I get to do with it what I want, I'm in control of it. It's the part of us that is still run by what some in modern psychology or human behavioral studies call the pleasure principle. And it's the part of us that, simply put, seeks pleasure and avoids pain. I, I know I shouldn't eat that thing, but it just tastes so good. <laughs> I know I shouldn't spend money on that thing, but man, I think it's really going like, to satisfy me. I, I know I should get up off the couch and do that chore, but man, this is just so comfortable. It's this part of us that seeks pleasure and avoids pain. It's the part of us... That, that dominates us in our like early developmental years, like when we're kids, when we're adolescents, even into young adulthood. But if we are still dominated by this years later into adulthood, we're gonna struggle to grow up, we're gonna struggle to mature, we're gonna, we're gonna struggle to become who God has designed us to become. We won't be able to become who God created us to be. And in my opinion, this idea of the pleasure principle, it's just modernity observing what we see right here in the scriptures. What human beings have known for millennia, for ages, and this flesh, listen, also, it's an infection of sorts. It's an infection, and it's not just infected the body, but the mind as well. Paul writes this in Romans. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace, and so the flesh doesn't just infect the body, it infects our mind, our whole selves, and it can dominate our minds in such a way, listen, where we begin to believe lies about reality, and these lies can then become the distorted lens with which we view reality, and it can create this distorted understanding of things like, what is freedom? What does it mean to be human? And the scriptures explicitly say that this way of thinking and living and behaving, it leads to death. It leads to death. And so again, just to summarize all of that, hear this. Again, your body is not bad. 
Your body is good. It's not evil. It's part of who you are and how God designed you. But there is this invasive old force at work within you that shows up in these distorted desires, and it's called the flesh, and it has infected our minds and our bodies, our whole selves. The best way I can illustrate this is is for you just to imagine a garden. Any gardeners here today? A few of you? Then it should be easy for you to imagine this, okay? Um, Imagine a garden, and inside all in, in, of this garden are all sorts of plants. And these plants that have been planted there have all sorts of potential, if cared for properly, to be beautiful and good and beneficial. And so naturally, you want these plants. You have this deep desire inside of you to see these plants thrive and flourish and grow. But at the same time, gardeners know this, there's also this pesky thing that grows in the garden called Weeds. And for some strange reason, these weeds somehow look almost identical to the plants that have been planted in this garden. But they grow more rapidly, they grow more aggressively, and they compete for the nutrients in the soil, space in the garden. And if they are not kept in check, they will actually dominate the garden. They will dominate the garden. And so instead of having this garden growing with these beautiful plants that were originally planted there, it becomes this tangled, overrun mess of weeds. And so the analogy should be pretty obvious, right? The, 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 the weeds are like our distorted desires. They're, our, they're the desires that come from our flesh, okay? And hear this. Oftentimes for us, these are our strongest desires. These are our strongest, most palpable desires. And the plants, the plants are, are, are the spirit. Listen, I, I believe that these are actually our deepest desires, These are our deepest desires, and there's a difference. These desires are born in our hearts by the work of God's Spirit, and for those of us that follow Christ, it's the part of us that's in contact with the Spirit of God. There are deepest desires, but as many of us know from personal experience, our deepest desires are not always our strongest desires, right? Those two oftentimes aren't the same thing. For for so many of us, our strongest desires might be to indulge. Our strongest desire might be to lie, to save face, to lust, to be lazy, to lash out at someone in anger, to gossip. But deeper than that, we have a spirit that is in contact and in communion with the spirit of God and it has been transformed by the atoning work of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we have been filled with the Holy Spirit and our deepest desires, listen, are to follow him, to be with him, to become like him, to do what Jesus did. And so our big problem, this is our big problem here, okay? This side of eternity is that we are this mixed bag of desires. We're a mixed bag of desires. We have these strong desires that we know aren't good for us, but we do them anyway. And then we have these deeper desires that we know, man, I want to do those things, but we just don't seem to have the ability or power or self-control to actually do them. And at our core, what we long for in the midst of this battle between our strongest desires on the one hand and our deepest desires on the other hand is freedom. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're longing for. We want freedom, but that begs the question right now, what is freedom? What is freedom? Is freedom the right 
and the ability to give ourselves over to our strongest desires whenever we want to. Is that what freedom is? Well, let's go back to the scriptures and see what freedom is. What did Paul write? The very first verse that we read today, Galatians 5.13. He wrote this. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. And so for Paul, according to the scriptures here, to be dominated by our strongest desires, to be dominated by our flesh, to be dominated by instant gratification, to be dominated by the pleasure principle is not freedom. In fact, according to the scriptures, it's actually slavery. That's slavery. And I think Paul would have a serious problem with our current culture's understanding of freedom. This idea that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. As if our actions don't have ripple ramifications to those around us. This is a very hyper-individualistic understanding of our world. It goes against the very fabric of truth and reality as God has set it up. Our modern understanding of freedom isn't freedom at all. In fact, it is slavery. To be dominated by our strongest desires is slavery. So what is freedom? Well, freedom, listen. Freedom, according to the scriptures, is the ability to live in and by the Spirit. Freedom is being transformed by the Spirit of Jesus and the ability to do what the Spirit wants. That's freedom. It's the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to have power and authority over your mind and over your body, to to, to will what the Spirit wants in and through your life. It's It's to be able to know the right thing, but not just know the right thing. It's also the ability to want the right thing, but it's not just the ability to want the right thing. It's the ability to then do the right thing as well. That and that alone is freedom. And the call of freedom on the follower of Jesus, again, it's not the ability to do whatever you want whenever you want. In fact, the call of freedom for the follower of Jesus, in Jesus' words, is this, listen. If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what freedom looks like. That's freedom. That's the path toward goodness and flourishing and the abundant life that Jesus promised his followers. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Or as Paul put it in the very passage that we just read, Galatians 5, 24, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So as we answer this question, why do followers of Jesus fast? Followers of Jesus fast to fight the flesh. This is why we fast. Followers of Jesus fast to fight the flesh, and you might even add at the end there, in pursuit of true freedom. This is why we fast. This gets at the why of fasting, but another question I wanted to answer this morning is how does all of this work out practically? How exactly does fasting fight the flesh? When we choose to step in obedience into this practice and participate in the transformative work of the Holy Spirit, how is God using this to transform us in such a way so that our strongest desires and our deepest desires are one and the same and we begin to experience true freedom in the Spirit of God? How does all of that work? Well, if we're just being honest here this morning and putting all of our cards on the table, we don't really know. 
We don't. There is a mystery in this that is beyond our understanding. We don't exactly know how God's spirit partners with us in our obedience to change and transform us. But here's something we do know, okay? We know through the example of Christ, through the example of women and men throughout scripture and throughout the history of the church, some of you in this room, you know from practical experience that these practices are practical ways that we not only crucify our flesh, but we also at the same time grow and they aid us in our ability in focusing on and feasting upon the spirit of God in our lives. And fasting here, it just seems to be a practice that has been practically designed to aid us in fighting the flesh and feeding the spirit. And this is because, as we learned earlier, while the flesh is not the body, remember that, there are two distinct things. Hear this, though. The flesh has intertwined itself with our body and our mind in such an intricate way that when we choose to fast from food for a set period of time, and instead, during that time, feed upon the Spirit, we begin to slowly but surely, little step by little step, day by day, month by month, year by year, we begin to see God's spirit take control over our mind and our body and our whole selves so that he has control over us and not our disordered desires. Now, I said this at the end of last week's teaching and I wanna say this again. No one here in this room or listening online is under any obligation to fast. Nowhere do we see a commandment explicit in the New Testament for followers of Jesus to fast. Again, the purpose of all spiritual practices, including fasting, are not for you to earn God's favor or be more loved by God. I said this last week, spiritual practices are not uh, about making you more precious to God. They're about making God more precious to you, okay? So no one is obligated to fast, but I will say this. Again, as we look throughout the history of God's people, the history of the church, some of the most devoted and committed followers of Jesus throughout the years have observed this reality, hear this, that a failure to discipline your body and with it your flesh can have negative downstream effects on your entire person. That is, when you begin to give in to your strongest desires and relevant to our conversation today, especially related to food, whether it be overeating, body idolatry, whatever it might be, all other sorts of temptations find their way of ramping themselves up in your body. Thomas Akempis, he's this great medieval spiritual giant, um, figurative giant, not literal, okay? Like, I don't know how big this person was. Um, he wrote the classic, The Imitation of Christ. He wrote this, refrain from gluttony and thou shalt more easily restrain from all the inclinations of the flesh. Augustine of Hippo, this brilliant fourth century theological mind who before he converted to Christ was just like a hedonistic madman, okay? Like he was just all over the place. He wrote this. He said, followers of Jesus should fast because it is sometimes necessary to check the delight of the flesh in respect to licit pleasures, that is like enjoyable activities that are morally permissible, like eating food, uh, in order to keep it from yielding to illicit joys. That's enjoyable activities that are immoral. And if you're looking for a list, just go to Galatians 5. Paul wrote like an entire essay as to like what those are. Um, and so again, while this practice is entirely voluntary, 
I will say that if you, like many others who are pursuing after Jesus, you find that your strongest desires are not in line with your deepest desires, and you find that you are overcome with the same problems and the same struggle with your flesh, year after year after year, whether it be lust or anger or laziness, or greed, or whatever it might be, women and men throughout church history have attested to the power of fasting as an aid to break the power of sin, especially as it relates to sins that are rooted in the flesh, in our distorted desires, okay? And so now as we wrap up, I've just got three warnings, words of caution here at the end. Number one, uh, fasting is not a one-stop shop to battle sin and conquer our flesh. This is not a silver bullet. Um, We are multifaceted, complicated human beings, and we're going to need other things like community and prayer and counseling and therapy and a variety of other things to continue to grow in Christ. And I just want to say to some of you in this room uh, where this topic of fasting is sensitive to you. It's sensitive to you because you have struggled or you currently struggle with body image issues or issues related to food and eating. I want to say right here that you are seen and that you are loved by God and perhaps your first step in this journey isn't to fast. It's not a safe or good thing for you right now, but perhaps your next step in your journey is to get together with someone that you trust, a godly friend, a a pastor, a counselor, a therapist, and continue to work through some of these questions, these things that you're struggling with. Why am I not ready for this yet? Where, Where do I need healing right now in my body and in my relationship to food? Second thing, uh, the power to battle and, and, and conquer the flesh is not found, it doesn't reside in the practice of fasting itself. There's nothing mystical or spiritually powerful about fasting in and of itself. However, the practice of fasting, just like all of the other spiritual practices, is a way for us to access the power of the Spirit, a power that's outside of us, a power that is beyond us, in order to make space for the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. Again, to go back to our gardening analogy, remember, the weeds are the flesh and the plants are the spirit and fasting, listen, fasting is just like the act of gardening. That's what fasting is. When you're gardening, you're identifying what are the weeds and you're pulling them out and you're making more space for for the soil. You're resisting those strongest desires in order to make space for those plants, the desires of the spirit. And so gardening in and of itself It's not causing the growth, it's taking part in the process, but what's truly causing the growth is the rain and the sunshine and the nutrients. It's the work of the spirit that you don't have control over, but gardening functions as a tool, as a mechanism to make space for that growth. Or to switch analogies, fasting is like a telescope. Uh, The telescope itself did not put the stars in the sky and all the beauty that resides in the sky, but it aids one in being able to see more clearly the beauty in the sky to marvel at what is up there. It is a a tool. That is what fasting is. And then finally, I just want to state this up front. As we begin to actually step into this practice this week, this is not an easy practice, okay? Okay? Fasting is not an easy practice uh, because what you're actually doing is, is you're picking a fight with not your body, but you're picking a fight with, with your flesh. And, and as you pick this fight with the flesh throughout the week, what you're going to notice is a lot of ugly stuff is going to come up to the surface right away. 
You're going to have more than one person if you're fasting. Typically, be like, hey, man, you need a Snickers bar today, all right? Essentially, listen here, it is going to get worse before it gets better when you start to practice fasting. Richard Foster writes this, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. And then Dallas Willard says this, in fasting, we abstain in some significant way from food and possibly drink as well. This discipline teaches us a lot about ourselves very quickly. It will certainly prove humiliating to us as it reveals to us how much our peace depends on the pleasure of eating. It may also bring to mind how we are using food pleasure to assuage the discomforts caused in our bodies by faithless and unwise living and attitudes. So who's ready to fast, <laughs> right? No, thank you. All right, well, for those that are wanting to step into this practice this week, I've just got three pieces of advice. Number one, uh, if you're looking to fast, I would encourage you to find someone to fast with this week, whether it's a friend, whether it's a spouse, whether it's someone you're in a group with. Find someone to partner with. The second thing I would say is just pick one day to fast this week. And you can start small. Skip a meal. Maybe you want to fast for 12 hours. Maybe you want to try and fast for 24 hours. Don't go much longer than that, okay? Don't try to be a hero here on the first week, all right? And then number three, on the day that you choose to fast, make sure you also set aside some time to spend with God. Whether it's five minutes, maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's an hour, and in that time of prayer, in your fast, don't just go before God with your list of prayer requests and kind of recite those before him, but here's what I'd want you to do. I'd want you to sit with God in the quietness of that moment and, and be honest with God and seek him. And if you're like, God, I don't know what's going on in the midst of this thing. It doesn't feel like, I just feel hungry and grumpy, God. Bring that before God. Whatever you're feeling, the thoughts that are going through your mind, the, the emotions that you're feeling, just bring those before God honestly and simply, and that's it. That's it this week. If you're looking to take a small step this week, that's all I would encourage you toward in the act and the spiritual practice of fasting. Those three things. And so let's just go ahead and stand and pray as we wrap up today. Father in heaven, we want to be more like your son. We want to spend time with him. We want to learn from him. We want to become like him, and we want to do the things that he did. Ultimately, at our core, what we are longing to be, we are longing to be who you created us and designed us to be. And we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have access to new life, and you have given us the spirit of God. But we also thank you for the example of Christ and his life put on display before us in the Gospels. And, and so, God, I pray that you would, you would propel us and compel us by the conviction of your Holy Spirit to take a step of obedience this week, to follow after Jesus in a new way. For many of us in this room, God, this is a, an entirely new thing, Lord. And so I pray that you would, you would strengthen us, that you would give us peace as we step forward in this journey, Lord. And I pray that for those who are going to take a step of obedience this week, God, that you would just bless them richly. Well, this is a long journey. This is not a silver bullet, Lord. This is something that you ask us to do over the course of a lifetime. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would be raising up, God, right now, your spirit. God, I pray that you'd be raising up and calling people who, who don't just want to simply be called Christians, but they want to be followers of Jesus day in and day out. 
And as we learn about these practices, God, I pray that you would help us to integrate them into our lives where we are in our stage of life. Lord, because what we really long for is we long for freedom. We long for our strongest desires to be in line with our deepest desires. We long to be able to live lives of true freedom in the spirit of God, abundant lives of peace and hope and flourishing. And so we just humble ourselves before you on this Sunday morning and ask for help. Would you help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.